0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is our great pleasure to be joined by Curtis Moore. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. And Curtis is a senior director of strategic account sales for the Eastern United States at Okta. Uh, it's hard, I think, for people to know not know who Okta is. We use Okta as a verb at SalesSloft since we get okta and Okta, of course, is an internet identity provider. I said we because I have one of my trusty co-hosts on with me today, Jess Kleck. Welcome, Jess.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Always a pleasure.
0: She and Curtis are birds of a feather because Jess is our Senior Vice President of Enterprise Sales, so uh, we're going to talk about large enterprise account selling today. And as a get to know you question, we're just going to dive right in. You know, Curtis leads a team of reps, but he was obviously a rep himself at one point. So Curtis, I'd love to just start by asking you the first enterprise sales cycle that you ever went through.
2: Sure. So I actually started out in inside sales or lead generation uh, with a small startup years ago and grew that team, ultimately managed that team and decided that I wanted to go into the field. And my first... Phil, sales opportunity was with a, a large retailer, REI. Uh, this was in the IT service management space and it was in the days of on-premise uh, delivery. Long story short, it was an extensive sales cycle, pretty significant opportunity for us. Went through the evaluation and came down to the, the final presentation with all of the key stakeholders. It was in, in Washington. I had a team of folks on our end. I was leading the effort, uh, went through our presentation, and it resulted in a lot of questions, not buying signal questions, but questioning their decision to make a purchase questions. Not ideal at all. I didn't know how to manage the situation, and I chose to let it play itself out. And it didn't result in a positive outcome. However, we didn't lose the deal. It resulted in a a stall, ultimately came back around and closed the deal the next quarter. But the key point, the key question that I wasn't able to, by interjecting, answer on their behalf was the why. Why do anything? Why do this now? Why do it with that particular company that I was um, selling for at the time? It was a lesson learned that I constantly remind myself and remind my team about today. At the end of the day, it's not about the technical checks and balances. It's about the why and getting the answer to that question, understanding why for your prospective customer is a key to your success.
1: Yeah. I always say to my team, what's the so what, who cares? If you can't sum up what you're presenting in like one word or one sort of value for your customer, then why do you have this slide there? Why do you have that? I'd love to hear more about how you help sort of drive that home through your sales process today.
2: It was interesting in that sales process because I, I fortunately had an opportunity to go back and connect those dots with our champion on, on their side. And we ultimately had that same meeting again. And I'll I'll just say that today and, and even beyond that point, I try and get my team to, to focus on the basics, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people buy from people and regardless of it being a technology sell, they're buying for a reason, regardless of what technology you're selling. And sometimes that's it's a personal win on behalf of your champion. It can be a an economic win, be it you know cost savings or revenue generating today, um, in 2020 and, and beyond. That why is, is often driven by external factors uh, based on the way in which organizations are changing their go to market. But it tends to be you know, pretty simple at the end of the day and business drivers I've found to be all very common regardless of the technology that you're selling. Increasing market share or increasing revenue, saving costs or improving operational efficiency and now working for a security company and security being a big focus enhancing security. So ultimately, regardless of what you're selling, it's coming down to a handful of business goals and objectives that you need to tie your technology
0: to in order to be successful. One of the things you mentioned as a benefit is the personal win for the champion. It's often mentioned in in selling, but do buyers really ever buy on the basis of, of a personal gain, and, and if so, what is that gain?
2: Absolutely, buyers do buy for personal gain. It's not always the case, but certainly often. And I can speak to my experience here at at Okta, which is, I'll say, unique in comparison to other technologies that I've, I've sold throughout my career. Okta is the front door to enterprise applications or the front door to personal applications, depending upon the use case. But for the workforce use case, The personal win for our coaches and and champions is oftentimes communication to the business that you're doing something to make their lives easier. When I joined Okta six and a half years ago, I was told that you may get recognition while walking through the airport with Okta gear on. And I kind of chuckled and and thought it was uh, interesting until it happened a few times. Within IT, oftentimes those operations are behind the scenes and they're kind of expected kind of like electricity. They're not always visible to the end customer of the IT organization. So in that case, you know, the personal win for our coaches and champions is streamlining the way in which individuals do their jobs on a daily basis. And again, when you think about Okta as a front door to enterprise applications, it's visible on a very regular basis. So in that case, the personal win, in some cases, it's about popularity in the, in the office and individuals literally getting high fives and thank yous from their customers for making their lives easier on a daily basis. Beyond that, there are additional business factors around operational efficiency gains and and cost savings, some some of those that I mentioned. But in this case, just that visible, who delivered this easy front door where I don't have to individually authenticate to all of my applications, that is a lifesaver. Thank you. And that's a big personal win.
0: You were talking about ways that value gets quantified. It does come down to increase revenue, reduce cost, increase operational efficiency or lower risk. Two of those are ones that, you know, you need to sell to in particular, right, which is increased operational efficiency via, for example, what we just talked about single sign on or lowering risk or setting, you know, flipping that around, increasing security. Those last two are, I think, are very hard to quantify. I'm curious, how do you go about quantifying the business value of those things that are they're not directly measurable in increased revenue or reduced cost?
2: It's true. The operational efficiency gains are oftentimes viewed as as soft savings. So when we look at putting together business cases, the true hard dollar savings, the, the soft savings, which is oftentimes time savings, and then the uh, the reduced risk in exposure. And it is difficult to specifically quantify. Fortunately, or really unfortunately, depending upon how you look at it with the number of security breaches and you know bad actors out there, there are now real hard dollars, pretty significant hard dollar savings associated with enhancing security to prevent those breaches that have a direct downstream impact on the brand of the organization, which ultimately, that is the organization. So while it, it may be perceived as is soft, and unfortunately, based on some of the happenings as of late, you can quantify enhancements in security. Operational efficiency gains, again, it, it tends to tie back to, to time savings. And, you know, fortunately in that case today, you know, everyone's pressing to do more, but we still only get 24 hours in the day. So if you can do more within that time frame, that is extremely valuable. So one way or another, there is a way to quantify it, getting your buyer to buy into that. That may be a different challenge in and of itself, but I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's much easier and much more apparent today to those buyers that those soft savings do have a significant impact.
0: Actually, Jess, I've, you know, you and I have been friends for a while now, and I've never asked you that same question we started with Curtis, which was Do you remember your first enterprise sale?
1: I do. Yeah. So I was with CareerBuilder right at the height of where job boards were just growing in hyper growth mode, exponential growth. So it was an exciting time to be part of the company. The sales cycle was long, right? I think I met with them in August and I was flying home after many, many trips there on Christmas Eve. And when I landed, I looked at my BlackBerry to see if I had a message because I had left the proposal, the decision was going to be made. And I got a message, not from Ben or Adam, but from uh, a sales enablement person there saying that they had decided to go with our competitor. I just remember it was the worst feeling ever. And I actually have since told this story to Ben and Adam. And they were like, we have no idea that that's what he did to you. Like they weren't even part of it. But yeah, he, the sales enablement lead sent me a note Christmas Eve while I was flying back at the time there was no wifi again slightly older here, but I opened that Backberry, looked at it, and I just put my head in my hands and cried. So I was like, I'm, maybe I'm no good at this. I just spent like five, six months getting to know their business and solving the issues. And that's how they repaid me.
0: One thing I'm curious about for both of you, and maybe I'll start back with you, Curtis, is let's take the last year out of the equation. But as you think about enterprise selling, how often do enterprise reps actually need to be on site?
2: That's an interesting question. And I think the response would vary based upon you know, what you're selling and the price point that you're selling it at. Based on my experience um, working large account and large deals, that on-site, in-person presence is, is important. And the job has changed significantly over the last year plus now. We've experienced you know both sides of it. And as I mentioned you know, previously, people buy from people, and it's, it's tough to get to know people over Zoom. It's difficult to build that trust. Um, I look at these engagements as, as partnerships. So you want to sit down, break bread, look someone in the eye, shake hands. I think we'll be getting back to that at some point soon. It's a big factor. The other important factor as it relates to that is everything that happens outside of the actual meeting meeting in the lobby with your coach or champion who's giving you tips as you're walking into the office, walking out of that office meeting with your coach or champion
0: who's giving you feedback on how things went. It just dawned on me, but would it make sense, let's say you've got, you know, an important meeting with a group of folks that you're selling to in an enterprise deal. Would it make sense to pre-schedule the following, say, 15 minutes or half hour with your champion to debrief. Do you, is that something you encourage your teams to do?
2: It is. It is, and that's been been a lesson learned in this new selling environment. That is helpful, but again, it doesn't compare to the in person interaction. Not to mention, and here's another factor. I encourage, we encourage um, the individuals on our team to turn their camera on. But your customer doesn't always do that. So even you know, the body language and ensuring that they're tuned in because it's easy to multitask when you're you know, hiding behind your, your device. So a lot of factors there and absolutely enterprise sales, in my opinion, doing that in person,
0: having that in-person
2: interaction, it makes a huge difference.
0: I really love the tip of scheduling a debrief with your coach I love learning things. I just learned I just learned a good one. Going into that, the meeting that actually precedes the debrief, though, we, we started talking about presentations earlier on, and I'm curious, and, and maybe Jess, I'll start with you on this one. And anytime a Google Slides, PowerPoint, whatever comes out on a sales call, I have a really hard time. I, I just, either I want to talk to you or I want to see the product. So I'm curious what your philosophy is as you coach your own reps on the use of presentation material. Yeah,
1: kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think... I'm the same. And I think with the Zoom fatigue, we just don't have the luxury of having 5, 10, 15 slide presentations anymore, where, you know, Curtis, to your point, when you're having that in-person meeting, you have a captive audience and, you know, you're motioning to the projector behind you of the points that you're trying to make, where Zoom, it's like, oh God, you can see there's 26 slides and you've already lost them. So back to what I said earlier about the so what, who cares? I really find that driving, if you can't give me what the value of that slide is in one sentence for the customer, not the value we're trying to deliver, but what is the actual perceived value to the customer, then we don't need it on slide. We can demo that in the tool. So I really try and coach and I'm very lucky because I have an incredible team, but I really try to coach to Always remembering that it's just a simple acronym, right? So what who cares? What's the so what who cares? But yeah, I, I kind of like to frame it in that way. I'm curious, Curtis, what other things you you try and coach, especially with the Zoom fatigue and process changing how we connect with one another.
2: Yeah, there's there's definitely some lessons learned there. But just another point on the in person, as it relates to this topic, is not being able to effectively whiteboard, right? And so, to a large degree you're kind of forced to live by slides. But what I will say is a a lesson learned for us over the last year, and our co-founder and COO, Frederick Karras, is really a master at this. And this was a lesson learned from him. We put a lot into preparation for our meetings, and particularly our executive level meetings. And we work with Freddie in some of our executive alignment meetings. and. There's a whole process, you know, prep, executive prep doc that we put together. There's a PowerPoint deck, and then there are specific talking points on the deck and, you know, who's going to say what. So my team stresses over this because Freddie's a perfectionist. So there's a lot of work put into that preparation and into the deck and the flow and creating the deck such that you're telling a story. And we do all of this prep work only to get on the call and not use any of the slides. So Freddie will review the executive prep doc. He'll review the slides. We'll prep on the talk track. And we ultimately rarely, rarely use any of the slides. And if any, we may use one. And then we talk and and we have a conversation. That is actually, if there's something to gain out of this lesson learned, that's been a huge positive. Because we're not presenting slides, we're not living by the slides, but we've done the appropriate amount of prep where we can just have a conversation about the content that we prepare and everyone has a specific role. They know what role they're playing and how to flow through that talk track. It ultimately ends up being a, a great conversation. We had a call this past summer with Ken Fraser, who's the CEO of Merck Pharmaceutical. We get on the call. It was an intro call. He, first of all, he asked, how did you get time with me? But he was really shocked and he, prior to becoming CEO and joining Merck, he was a, an attorney and he was trying to sell into Merck and he said, I could never get to the CEO. That kind of lended itself to a very casual conversation and we flowed through the content. We probably prepared 10 slides of content with specific talking points that we wanted to call out, but it ultimately resulted in a very casual and productive conversation.
0: We, we can't leave that one hanging, which is how did you get the meeting with Ken?
2: So we have an advisor to our board, Maggie Wilder-Rider, is extremely connected. In fact, we had a management meeting two years ago. We kicked off this initiative called WLO, uh, Win the World's Largest Organizations. And Maggie presented to the management team. And as part of introducing herself, she said she is the second most connected person in the world. And when you hear that, you kind of respond that way, right? Wow. But what does that really mean? (laughs) And I'll say this. I still don't know exactly what it means, but I do not question her sharing that she is the second most connected person in the world because she is extremely connected. And that's how we got the meeting with CEO Merck and meetings with other CEOs and C-levels, extremely well connected.
0: I was talking to a friend of mine who used to work for a, a very large company and they would hire subject matter experts. They were whatever, they were the you know, ex-CIO of Merck, for example. So imagine Okta hired the ex-CIO of Merck. They would leverage that person to go into other accounts, meet with CIOs and just talk business, right? Like they wouldn't talk Okta, they would just talk business. Do you guys hire folks like that that are that are these industry veterans, super well connected, you know, beyond the board advisor that you mentioned?
2: It's uncommon in past companies, we've, we've done that. And it's had, in my experience, I'd say moderate success. But what we, we really rely on and quite frankly overlook is our network. There's uh, a lot of folks here who have been in the industry for a long time and are pretty well connected across the board. Right. So each individual has their respective connection. And with LinkedIn, it's very easy to see who's connected with whom. And between our individual connections, between our board, at one point, the VCs behind Okta, there are a lot of connections there in place. The key is tapping into those connections because that doesn't always happen. For whatever reason, there is oftentimes a reluctance to go to the CEO. Why? I don't have the answer to that question other than maybe fear, quite honestly. But ultimately, that's the level that you want to get to, to to find out, you know, what are the core business goals and objectives that you're trying to achieve back to the, the why and where we started? That's where you're really going to uncover what's important to that organization. And if you can attach yourself to that, then you're going to get sponsored, as was the case here, to the CIO, the CISO, all the the C-levels that are making decisions. Because I can tell you in that case, the CEO of Merck was not making a technology decision related to Okta. But his introduction to senior leadership, it helped.
1: I have a question about that. As, um most companies have advisors. And as you just said, you know, they're very influential in getting that meeting. But how often does that advisor like Maggie stay with you throughout that sales process? Was it, here's that intro to the CEO, that's how we got time. And then she sort of takes a step back. I'm interested to learn how you sort of hold the advisor accountable throughout the sales process.
2: That is our ask of those advisors to broker the introductions. And uh, it's it's our job to adequately prepare for that meeting to have a meaningful conversation that is going to yield a follow-up. At that point, if we drop the ball or if it's just not on the radar, not a priority, not the right timing, we're not asking that individual to chase, to follow up. The ball is in our court at that point, and we need to take advantage of the opportunity.
1: We were talking to some other advisors at organizations, some of them have milestones that in exchange for equity and advisor position, the role is a little bit different outside of just leveraging their network. You know, because sometimes right, the, the onus is on the sales strategist and the team to sort of push the meeting forward. But the CEO of Merck has probably a thousand other things on their agenda outside of Okta, right? So if the deal had gone cold, I wondered if you would have maybe re-engaged with Maggie to to try and push it forward.
2: So another key point there is that she's not involved in the meeting. Those introductions are with senior levels on our end. As is the case here, it's typically one of our co-founders if we're being introduced at that level. Now, they will carry the bag, if you will, throughout the sales cycle. It's the account team's responsibility to loop them back in at the appropriate time. But at that point, when I say it's, it's on us, it's, it's on Okta. And so we've appropriately aligned at the senior level. In this case, we're directed to the decision makers to engage in a process. If Freddie were to send a note to Kenneth in this case, that's appropriate and that happens. But beyond the
0: introduction, Maggie is is on to the next. Yeah, one of my friends actually started a company at one point and they still exist called Emissary where it is what it sounds like it's you can actually hire people to advise you on on deals and it's usually people who were formerly employed by that company and can map you know sometimes they'll broker an introduction but it's less about that it's more about mapping out the why as well as the relationship structure and the way decisions are made. So you get to fill in, I guess, some of your medic boxes with those advisors. It's a great service for doing that. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you one final question, Curtis. If you reflect on, again, you know, your, your selling career, what do you think is the biggest difference between enterprise selling and SMB selling? Let's say there's an, you know, there's an SMB AE who wants to become an enterprise AE. What's the most important skill for them to master that they may not have developed?
2: That's a great question. And I don't know if I could put a hand on one thing in particular. I think there are a number of things, one of which is um, the mentality, the, the approach, you know, SMB, you're going to have a lot of accounts. The assumption is that it's going to be more transactional in nature versus enterprise tends to be a bit more strategic and longer term, fewer accounts. So just from that perspective, the expectation and differences would be really getting to know your accounts, where in s when you have many, it's difficult to get to know those accounts. Uh, it's more about what problem are you trying to solve? Can we solve it? Here's how we solve it and on to the next. And another is... Just the the overall process tends to be more involved at the enterprise layer, just purely based upon there being more stakeholders involved. So there tends to be more people that you have to sell to and you have to manage those different stakeholder personal wins or business wins tying it back to our previous conversation about the personal wins in a large enterprise, there may be 10 people fulfilling 10 individual responsibilities, where in SMB there's two people fulfilling all of those responsibilities. So you have to sell to those unique needs and requirements as well as their personal reasons for involvement, their personal win. So I'd say in in large part, just purely based upon the organizations that we're selling to being larger, it's a more complex sales cycle. You have to sell more people, more stakeholders.
0: Uh, well, Curtis, it was amazing having you on. I learned a lot of great actionable tips. Uh, my favorite actually was the, like the debrief with the champion after any kind of, uh, of a meeting. So I really love that. If people want to uh, learn more, maybe join your team at Okta, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: LinkedIn, Curtis Moore,
0: Okta, pretty easy to find there.
2: And I am hiring. So uh, look forward to hearing from some of you. Brilliant.
0: Thanks so much for being on.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.